1: Well, this last week, I asked my Facebook friends to share their stories of generosity. And, uh, you know, I was really impressed with the stories I received, both on my Facebook wall, people posted, as well as private messages. Particularly, I asked people to share stories of when someone was generous to them and the difference that that made in their lives. It was it was great. I heard a lot of stories I I, I I saw, I think some of you saw it as well, how generosity is such a beautiful thing. It really helps people when they're in desperate situations. It also creates new opportunities for people. It can make people realize that they're not alone. Sometimes the generosity can literally change the trajectory of someone's life. It was so encouraging to see uh, people who experienced uh, generosity in in beautiful ways, people who even uh, experienced something for the first time that, that initiated for them a journey uh, to find and follow Jesus. a beautiful. I'll try to include uh, a few snippets of that during our time today, but I encourage you to ask others. Ask people in your own life, like, when was someone generous to you? What was that like? And uh, listen to the stories, Share stories with each other. Uh, one of my friends uh, from away, you don't know her, gave me permission to share her story. So I actually want to read literally the message she sent to me uh, privately because it was a beautiful. She said, a year and a half ago, I was preparing to move into a new apartment. It needed a lot of work, but had the perfect studio space. Myself and a few friends started patching and painting. I had a week to get it done and move out of the place I was house-sitting. Halfway through the week, I ended up in the hospital having major emergency surgery. My friends and church family pitched in and finished the work. They also rented a U-Haul at no cost to me and moved my stuff. I came home to find all my things put away, my bed made, and everything arranged. Some of you might not feel good about that, I I know. Yeah, I'm married to someone who wouldn't feel very good about that. But nonetheless, there was generosity. So they said, then they fed me and visited me during the next few weeks of recovery. And in the end, about 35 different people contributed to my needs. It was an amazing, most amazing outpouring of love and care I've ever received. I'd only been in Lethbridge about six months at the time. And when I asked her, I said, well, how did that experience make you feel, like receiving that kind of generosity? And, and, and how did it change your relationships? She responded, said, It was overwhelming. It was definitely brought me fully into the community within the church. I have many strong relationships as a result. It also reminds me to not neglect offering the same type of care and help to others in need, even if I don't know them well. That's great. Generosity given in small ways or large ways is a beautiful thing. I think we all can acknowledge that when we see it. When we see it practiced, we know it's good. We know it's right. We know it's God-honoring. But where does that generosity come from? What generates generosity? How is it nurtured? How is it grown? How is it practiced among us, among our own families, among our church family? We're a couple months now into our Sunday teaching through the book of Acts, and I know that small groups have kicked up, and the uh, the, the many of you who are part of small groups are also discussing the story of Acts and the implications for our lives uh, throughout the week. And so we're we're getting into it now. Acts, as we know, is the earliest history we have of how these first Jesus followers started to take the message of Jesus and his resurrection to the world. And by the end of Acts, churches have been planted all over the Roman Empire including people in the church from right from slaves in the poorest households right up to members of Caesar's own palace. They are everywhere. The good news of Jesus is spreading, and the resurrection, the truth of his resurrection cannot be contained. Well, that's where the story's going. But we're still in the early part of the story. We're still back in the cradle, as it were, in Jerusalem, right where it all got started. Remember what's been happening so far? A little catch-up. The Holy Spirit's come. He's come to live, actually. God's own spirit has come to live inside these first followers of Jesus, and he's empowering them to be his witnesses, witnesses to him in his resurrection. And being the witnesses that Jesus promised, uh, the Holy Spirit is now, He's he's fulfilling that promise in them. Jesus gave the promise, the Holy Spirit's fulfilling, both in how they're talking about Jesus, very boldly, but also in how they're living as a community, together, how they talk and how they live. Imagine that is bearing witness to Jesus. It's beautiful. But their witness to Jesus is starting to create waves, isn't it? First of all, people are hearing the message. People are getting in. The, The church is growing. Thousands of people are now following Jesus. But also the disciples are starting to get pushback from the same religious authorities. This must have felt very ominous in some ways. The same guys who had crucified Jesus just weeks before, are now threatening them. They're not happy that the guy they killed apparently has come back to life, so these guys say. And now they're telling everybody they can get on it too. They start to experience the pushback. The first uh, two apostles we hear about, Peter and John, they've already spent a night in the crowbar hotel. And then when they're released in the morning, they're threatened not to, quote, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, which of course they promptly ignore and continue to do anyway. That's how it ended last week. Peter and John came home, reported to the rest of the church what happened, and then rather than seeking witness protection, <laughs> they pray for boldness. And Peter spoke about that. Peter Hambry, that is. He spoke what? Peter and John and the church is doing. But I want to pick up uh, just the last few verses there because it, it helps us with today. So I want to pick up in Acts uh, 4.29 and then and then we'll finish the chapter together. So backing up just slightly, uh, after coming and reporting, he says, Now, Lord, this is kind of the end of their prayer, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed... The place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is a great summation. What happens next, though, is Luke then goes on, this is where we're looking today, to give us another snapshot of the early church. He he pulls back the curtain for us now living almost 2,000 years distant, he pulls back the curtain for us to see how they're living, what their life together as a church actually looked like on the ground. So so listen to this picture that that Luke paints for us. These who have been filled by the Spirit, speaking the word of God boldly, all that. Listen to this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles call Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. It's a stunning picture of God's spirit-filled people. There's a lot here. It's the second time Luke has given us insight into the community dynamics of these early Christians. The first was at the end of of the story of Pentecost, at the end of chapter 2. We also get a snapshot of this community, kind of a little bit of a bird's-eye view, draws back a little bit just to tell us what's going on on and both depictions both snapshots uh, they paint the same picture really they use the same strokes if you ca- take at the end of chapter two and the end of chapter four these two snapshots and bring them together you see a community that is filled with the holy spirit both at pentecost and and now again as they pray to gather they're they're, they're praying for more boldness god's spirit fills them again this is a spirit-filled community We see a community that's unified together by the Holy Spirit. In the first story, we're told that they're devoted to to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, and and to prayer. We're told here that they're united with one heart and mind. We also see a community that's bold in their witness to Jesus. In spite of mounting resistance, they are telling everybody about Jesus. And then very front and center, we see a community that is overflowing with generosity. They're sharing their possessions with anyone who has needs within the church. And it's the overflowing generosity that Luke wants us to catch. He doesn't want us to miss this. This kind of captures center stage in this second description, though it's quite explicit in the first one as well. Here in snapshot number two, Luke highlights a very significant outcome to the church's unified, shared life of generosity. The result, he wants us to see, that in this early church community, now hovering around the population of Creston, right? 5,000 plus. Doesn't include you out in Canyon or Erickson or Wendell or, you know, we're still Gentiles, but, you know, or at least Judea and Samaria. Samaria, which one's that? I'm just okay. In this early community of Jesus, hovering around the population of Crescent at this point, Luke wants us to see that there were no needy persons among them. None. No needy persons. I want you to think about that for a moment. Nobody without food. No one without resources. Nobody without care. No one, part of this Christian community, was out begging on the streets during the day. No one was needing to degrade themselves or dehumanize dehumanize themselves just to make ends meet. And listen, friends, in this era, this is is amazing. This is mind-boggling. There are poor people everywhere. You couldn't go to the market or the temple or the fields or your friend's home without tripping over somebody begging you for money. Because there's poor everywhere. Except, as it turns out, among the Christians, among the church. The church was caring for its own. Needy people who joined that community were no longer needy anymore. All their needs were being met by the shared generosity of others. And this is true through Christian history. In the early centuries, a plague was sweeping through Rome, and everybody was dying, and all the elite were running to the hills, quite literally, to get out of there. But early Christians cared for their own and everyone else who had need. They would go into the streets and they would bring people and this was a plague that killed many, many, many people. But as it turns out, the care that Christians gave to others not only enabled people to survive who would have died, you know, would just died of dehydration or being ignored, especially the poor. Not only did they survive, you know, more people survived, but there was actually a growth in the church. It, it actually led to many placing their faith in Christ, but actually then serving others. and More people were being saved quite literally from what they would have been a death in the the gutter yes there were christians who died from the plague but they thought it worthy they thought it worth it to give up their lives for the sake of others and they were out there serving it's an amazing demonstration that generosity and generous care is woven right into the dna that's what the spirit brings when he comes and moves in well here's what's so interesting luke isn't just giving us a random fact about a kind community He's actually showing us that the Holy Spirit's presence is not only fulfilling Jesus' promise of witness, which he does every step of the way, but also the Spirit's presence is fulfilling a long-held vision that God had for his covenant people. When Luke says the phrase, there were no needy persons among them, he's actually reaching way back to an old story. He's actually reaching way back to an ancient vision that God had cast for his people when he first gave them the law. In Deuteronomy 15, uh, 1 to 11, I'm going to read it. In order to prevent what would have been systemic oppression or abuse or you know, hurting people, Yahweh, he put a system of debt relief and personal protection into the law. Listen, listen to this. I want you to hear it because it's, it's super important. Uh, just 11 verses uh, from Deuteronomy 15. Says, At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. You shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time has come for canceling the debts. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need be no poor people among you. For in the land the Lord your God has given you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he's promised and you will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. You you will rule over many nations but none will rule over you. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Generosity was an old covenant principle too, but now that the Spirit had come, God's people, who are now part of this new covenant established by Jesus Christ through his death, through his resurrection, sealed by the Holy Spirit who has come, here's what's so interesting. In a very obvious, tangible way, this Spirit-filled community of Jesus is now living God's jubilee, as it were, living God's hopes in their everyday life hopes for his community. In the Old Covenant, Yahweh told them that there need not be any needy persons among them, among his covenant people, and he instilled this pattern of debt relief every seven years. But even by the end of this little section in Deuteronomy, Yahweh reminds them to be generous and open-handed because they would always have the needy among them. Yahweh himself knew that his vision would never be fulfilled in them until now. Because here in this post-Pentecost community, Luke very intentionally reveals that jubilee, debt relief, whatever, isn't a law that's being grudgingly kept every seven years, but rather it's a vibrant vision that's being lived out now in this community in the power of the Holy Spirit. And because, we read in Acts 4.33, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, there were no needy persons among them. And that generosity, my friends, is a powerful witness to the resurrection of Jesus in and of itself. Because, as I titled the sermon, nothing says Jesus like generosity. Nothing. And combined with their bold witness to the resurrection of Jesus, this good news of Jesus is making huge inroads into the Jerusalem community. Remember one of our, uh, a couple of our key interpretive questions? We want to ask that for Acts right now. We want to ask the question, how was, or how is, how was the Holy Spirit fulfilling His promise of witness then? When we just take a little bit of an overview right now, we remember where we've come from. We know that he's doing that. He's fulfilling his promise through powerful preaching, through witness, verbal witness that's being given, despite persecution, that Jesus has risen from the dead, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and has given the Holy Spirit. This is the witness, powerful preaching. But also through the shared life. The end of the chapter 2 description, we're told that as a result of the way they're living, many people are being added to the community every day. And then also now through generous giving because it's solid evidence that God's grace is at work in them. The Holy Spirit is continuing to fulfill his promise in the very same ways among us even today. So for today, we're going to focus on what Luke wants us to see in this, in this part of the story. How God's grace generates Generosity. Now, I thought a lot about that this week and the last few weeks as I was, as we were leading up to this. And it led me to ask a few questions, and maybe you can join me in that. But how is our generosity a result of God's grace? Because that's the indication that uh, Luke is giving us. How does generosity point others to Jesus? Um, How do we grow our generosity without relying on guilt or pressure or shame? All these questions are swirling around my head this week as I was praying and exploring the story. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take our cue from Luke's own statement. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. We'll take that and go from there. How was this happening? How does grace grow generosity? First, we have to start back at the beginning with the Spirit's filling. It's the Holy Spirit who first fills us with God's grace and he does so again and again and again we talked a few weeks back I think it was on the Sunday we talked about you know the Spirit's first coming right back at uh, start of chapter 2 we explored how the Holy Spirit comes now to live in his people that God comes to live in us the Holy Spirit moves in takes up resonance, and that we collectively as the people of God, as well as individually, not only is the Holy Spirit living in us, but we find that we have been drawn up into the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's the core of everything. That's the very core of our community. It's the core of our faith. It's the core of how we follow Jesus every day, why we gather, why we scatter, why we witness who we are, our triune God, is living within us. And He is the very fountainhead of all generous, self-giving love. That's who God is. He's taken up residence in us. The God who is generous is at the center. And we find out this filling of the Holy Spirit is a repeatable, a renewable resource, if I can use that. It's repeatable in the life of the follower of Jesus that not only do we receive the Holy Spirit upon confession and baptism and that initial receiving of the Holy Spirit when we come to follow Jesus, but we are filled again and again as we continue to submit our lives to the leadership of Jesus. A great way to think about this uh, is is from Nikki Gumbel, Alpha Guy. He talks about how the Holy Spirit comes within us and is now taking up residence and that's like the pilot light in your furnace. And it's always burning, you hope. It's always burning. In this case, it is. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave. He's part of you now. He's in you. But when we yield ourselves to Him, when we pray for the Holy Spirit to, to fill us, when we, when we seek His face and we yield ourselves to Him, it's like the heat gets turned up. The gas gets turned on. and You know that sound? When the barbecue lid comes off? You know that one? And the Holy Spirit lights you up again and gives you the boldness to speak and to share and to love the way that Jesus has called us to. The pilot light and the heat turned up is a great way of thinking about we're filled, but then there's an ongoing filling by the Holy Spirit who sends us into mission. The Holy Spirit fills us and fills us again. And we see that right here at the end of Acts 4. That's why I backed up a little bit. These Christians, when they prayed for boldness, they were, quote, All filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. These were the same people who were already filled by the Holy Spirit back in chapter two. They were already filled. We see in chapter three when Peter's speaking, he says, filled with the Holy Spirit, he spoke, and that's in his sharing. This is an ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is something daily. It's what apostle, the apostle Paul commanded us to do in one of his letters, Ephesians five. He said, commanded us to, instead of being drunk with wine, he says, be filled with the Spirit. It's a command, but the very uh, meaning of the word carries an ongoing filling idea. So like, go on being filled with the Spirit. Make sure you're being filled with the Spirit. Filled, 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 always being filled by the Spirit. Something we continually need. I do. So when we get up every day, we can actually have a simple prayer on our lips that Holy Spirit, Fill me today. Fill me today. Fill me today and fulfill in me your desires, your promise. When you're walking into a meeting and you're not sure how it's going to go, you can say, Holy Spirit, fill me and fulfill in me your promise. When you're disciplining your kid, you can say, Holy Spirit, fill me now. Right? Going for coffee with a friend, wondering what to do. Coming in to gather with the church. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, fulfill in us. Fill us and fulfill in us your desires, what you promised. Listen, that's square one. When we talk about generosity, that's square one. We're being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how God's grace gets in and starts to work. It's the filling and the refilling of the Holy Spirit as we yield ourselves to his leadership and we let the Holy Spirit renovate our hearts, renew our minds and reorient the very way we think about our own needs and the needs of others and as we see in this passage one of the distinct signs that the grace of god is actually at work is that lo and behold purse strings get loosened it's like the holy spirit is a cut purse. you know he's around slitting the slitting the wallets and stealing stuff well not really but he's there, and all of a sudden, people are giving. There's a, there's a generosity that's happening. The purse strings are loosening. Others' needs are becoming my needs. Ownership is now reframed in terms of stewardship, and stewardship itself is reframed in terms of generosity. This is a sign of God's grace at work. So be filled. That's where it starts, to be filled, to be continually filled, to let the grace of God to work in us powerfully. Let the Holy Spirit fill us. Second, upon filling the church, the Holy Spirit then creates in it, creates in us, new priorities. Or new, if you reach back to chapter two, you can say, new devotions. In particular, the Holy Spirit, um, changes the priority of our life together, our time together, and even what we do when we're together. Because we see, pictured in this early community, priority of being together But also part of that is being together under the authority of Scripture. Learning together, what is God's vision for us? What is God's vision for the world? How should I now live as a follower of Jesus based on the fact that Jesus came back from the dead, rose, ascended, is seated at the right hand of the Father and has sent His Holy Spirit to live in us and given us this promise. All of that reorients and changes us and somehow the Holy Spirit draws us together to figure that out under the teaching and authority of Holy Scripture. This is really clear throughout these descriptions. But it's important to see how this works because the generosity we see practiced here is actually connected to their sharing of life together. It's hard to know someone's needs if you don't know them. You know what I mean? Because it's not arm's length giving. There's something close up about this. And the Holy Spirit's coming reorders everyone's priorities. Now they're getting close with each other. Now they're sharing in the daily study together, the daily life together, eating together, studying Scripture together, praying for God's kingdom to come and His will would be done right in their midst, right in their city, worshiping Jesus who has died and now risen and is seated at the right of the Father, installed as King, worshiping Him. They would eat together, not only because everybody's got to eat, but also they would do that as a way of remembering the story, retelling the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. So in a very real sense, their meals together weren't just sustenance on the physical level, they were sustenance on the spiritual level, as they'd retell and remember. Every meal in that sense became Eucharistic, a communion meal. And that, friends, that shared life, that new devotion, that brought them close to each other, God's grace was working so powerfully in this community that First, it starts with that. It starts by reordering their priorities, reordering, dare I say it, the calendar, the days of the week, the way we spend our time, our mealtimes, our evenings, our weekends. And actually, the generosity we see could not have happened otherwise. It wouldn't have occurred if this hadn't first happened. So much so, in fact, that we could say that the power of God's grace working in their lives was directly proportional to how much he was actually pulling them together as a new covenant community. The amazing generosity we see happen in this community would not have been possible if it hadn't been for these new priorities, this one heart, this one mind, this shared life of this community. So, in terms of concrete steps, there's a challenge. The Holy Spirit invites us to get close As we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, he fills us with new devotion, with new priorities. And know this, the Holy Spirit's work in us. He will always draw us more deeply into community with each other. Sometimes we resist that. The Holy Spirit will always, he never will draw us away. He'll always draw us to each other. He'll draw us more deeply into community, more deeply into shared life. The Holy Spirit fills us as a church, as a a whole, as a body, so that we then gather regularly, certainly weekly, maybe even daily as a Spirit-filled community, whether it's gathering in someone's home, whether it's gathering in a coffee shop, whether it's gathering with friends over a fence, or in small groups, or in larger gatherings like this. All of this is how. It's like the mechanics of God's grace working powerfully in us. And the net effect is where we go next. Third, by filling us up, And then pulling us together, the Holy Spirit makes us attentive to each other's needs. This is just true. When we get involved in each other's lives, we get involved in each other's needs. Right? Just think about it. That's how it happens in your own life. As God's grace is worked into us, we start to care more for how others are doing than we ever have before because these aren't just faceless people or needs out there, some sort of whatever. It's like my friend, my brother, my sister, and I know exactly what's going on and I've been praying for them and all of a sudden, I'm more attentive to what's gone. In every one of the generosity stories I heard this week, every single one, it showed how proximity influenced generosity. It really did. People were close enough to notice someone's need, which they then drew from their own resources to meet. My friend Lynette told this beautiful story, and I've known Lynette for many years. She's a worship leader, and she was leading worship with a guitar that wouldn't stay in tune. Can we just all bow for a moment and imagine that? I mean, maybe God was getting glory, but nobody else was getting good, right? Painful! And she would cry to try to keep this guitar in tune. She's a beautiful worship leader with a beautiful voice, but a guitar in tune serves no one. So one day after the gathering of the church, the sound man, who I also know, said... Lynette, I have something for you. Took her out to the parking lot and gave her like a $1,500 beautiful Takamine guitar and said, I really feel the Holy Spirit has asked me to give this to you. You're serving the church and I just want to bless you and give this to you. And she was totally overwhelmed and uh, her worship leading, uh, you know, let's just all say it, was more edifying to the church afterwards too. You all feel that with me, right? And all of you who know how bad an out-of-tune guitar is? Yeah. And and so there's beautiful, I heard another story, I'll just say it, Becky said someone generously bought milk for Ethan while he was little and gobbling up way lots of it, right? Beautiful, beautiful stories. I heard people who looked around their house and saw furniture given by most everybody else and, and ways that people have just cared in small and big ways for people's lives. But every single one of them were influenced by proximity. You were close enough to know you were close enough to notice. As God's grace fills us up and pulls us together, He makes us attentive to each other's needs, and we see all kinds of needs. We see the concrete needs, obviously, of people's food, shelter, basic care, and you know we're well equipped to meet those things. In our valley, even in our church alone, can I just? We can all nod at that, right? We are well equipped to meet basic needs, and we should be. We can. But there's also more subtle needs too, isn't there? needs that go more easily missed, if we aren't letting the Holy Spirit draw us together to notice it, if we aren't able to be attentive to those things. It might be a struggling single mom in need of support. It might be an emerging adult in in need of some life skills that you can offer. It might be an aging elder who's battling loneliness on a daily level and feels forgotten. It could be a brother in Christ that's wrestling with mental illness. It could be a family in need of respite because of a disabled child. There are just so many ways, perhaps more subtle, but they're there. And as the Holy Spirit draws us together, He makes us attentive to those needs and how we can meet them. It could be people in need of just friends, of mentoring, of prayer, of wisdom. Frankly, it's people who are just in need of you. You. You are actually the generous gift that God is wanting to provide for that person. Have you ever considered that? Look yourself in the mirror later on today and say, God, I am a generous gift for someone else? Some of you don't believe it, but it is true. God wants to share us with others. Well, we're already moving to the last point, so let's go there. The Holy Spirit inspires generosity in us. This is where all this has been going. The Holy Spirit fills us up, pulls us together, makes us attentive, and now leads us to live and give in very Jesus-centered, generous ways. And this generosity, the kind of generosity that would lead to the elimination of needs in a community is a powerful work of God's grace. Generosity isn't something that we generate under our own power. It's a gift of God's grace generated from within us as we submit to His filling, as we submit to to his leadership in our lives. When we consider how we might grow in generosity, it's important that we get things in that proper order. We won't grow in generosity if we're sourced by guilt. Guilt doesn't grow generosity. We might give more at first, like dollars on on, on cents. We, We might try harder for a while. We might even see some good things happen. But guilt doesn't change us from the heart out. Guilt doesn't work long-term. Guilt, in that sense, is the opposite of grace as a motivator. And it won't grow our generosity towards others, but God's grace will. God's Holy Spirit can. We need to remember that. If we're struggling with generosity, we're struggling to give our finances or our time or our energy, or, please listen, someone else tells us we're struggling with it. We think we're terribly generous, but we aren't. Be open to that we realize that the call is to go back to step one, not start at step four. The call is to go back to step one, to get a habit of asking the Holy Spirit to fill us, to reorder our priorities so that we become more responsive to his leadership in the relationships around us, with our time, with our calendar, with our finances. And when we start to get close to some of those key relationships, to ask the Holy Spirit to let you see, to make you more attentive, and then respond as the Spirit leads. And this is when the opportunity surfaces to be generous, to give a caring gift, to actually share, and you'll be receiving so much more as you give. But having said all that, I've already hinted at it, it is important to take an honest look at our generosity, at our giving, the way that we live and share, or perhaps hoard and hold on. We need to think, how connected are we? to the needs of others, to God's own people. And it can be very revealing. Without invoking any guilt, because I've already said I don't believe in guilt, I really don't believe in guilt. Conviction of the Holy Spirit I believe profoundly in, but not guilt. We need to acknowledge that if we examine our own lives carefully and honestly, if there's a lack of generous giving in our lives, it is a sign of the lack of God's grace working in our lives. These are hand in hand. Lack of giving, lack of generosity indicates another kind of lack. Here's the honest truth. If we as God's people aren't growing in generosity, then we aren't growing in grace either. They go hand in hand. Just as Luke was able to point out the generous way this community was living, the way needs are being met, as a sign that God's grace was powerfully at work in them, we should be able to do the same in our own community, in our own church, in our own lives. We see this in another letter in the New Testament, a letter that the Apostle John wrote uh, when he was an old man. Most of you, or a lot of you can recite John 3.16. But how many of you can recite 1 John 3.16? It's actually just as gospel as the other. This is what 1 John 3.16 says. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Then he goes on to get really clear what he means. He's not, he's not joking around. 17 and 18, verses 17 and 18, he says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Generosity is a kind of litmus test of grace. For where the grace of God is present, generosity is present. Where the grace of God is at work, generosity is at work. Why? Because the generous God himself is living within us, is working within us. His grace is growing in us. The Holy Spirit's job, you might remember, is to make you and I and our shared life together look more and more like Jesus every day. Every week, the very trajectory of our lives and our community is now set on the course of Jesus' generosity. But if we're stingy, or if we're afraid, if we don't give or we even struggle to give cheerfully, instead of beating ourselves up about it, we can repent, we can just confess that to Jesus. We can go back to square one and invite the Holy Spirit to do some renovation in us, to bring God's grace and work it in like, like you work in, you know, stuff into... Who makes bread around here? Work it in. Yeast, whatever you work into. Cheese, I don't know. You work it into the dough. Let the Holy Spirit in to work that into your life to knead the dough and make it grow. And generosity, that will be the result. It's a beautiful thing. It's a God thing. It's what he wants. And I must say, when I look at you, when I look at this community, you are a generous community. So whatever, that may have, you know, whatever challenge you may have received there, take it. That's the Holy Spirit, hopefully speaking. But I just want to say, my experience in this community is that you are incredible people of generosity. I've been recipient of it. Many have been recipients of it. I see men and women so willing to lay down their lives. If you're aware of the need, you strive to meet it. And I see that as an act or a sign of God's grace powerfully at work in us. Well, let's go to close, 1115. You've already heard the application. Every step of the way, there is challenge in there to be filled, to let the Holy Spirit reorder our priorities, to be attentive to the needs of those around us and then be responsive and to let God's grace grow us in that. Because you know, as generosity grows, so does our witness. When people see the love of God enfleshed in a community, when they see needs being met they see the reality of Jesus' resurrection being lived out, that new creation has come, and it actually makes a difference in the lives of real people. Here in Acts, we see, this. we see this in our own church fellowship. We see this in the church universal, that nothing says Jesus like generosity. And as people experience generosity, they begin to see also the one who is growing that generosity in us. Let's pray. Jesus, I am so thankful that you are so generous with us. What would we do if you had hoarded your riches to yourself? <laughs> Instead, you laid down your life for us. And now you call us to lay down our lives for each other. That is a work of grace. We confess it. And in those places in our lives where we are fearful so that we hoard, where we are worried so that we, we, aren't, we, aren't, we, we hesitate, where we're we're unsure or we're we're stingy or we're just not connected at all, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us, that you would remind us, that you would renew in us your vision, and that we would see more generosity growing in our own hearts in ways that are beautiful and God-honoring and life-changing. I thank you for the work of grace that you are doing in us as a church, for the evidence of that in the many, many ways That we give and serve others. And we just ask, we just ask very simply, God, that you would work that grace more in us. Not out of guilt, but out of your grace. We would see more giving to the needs of those around us. More people experiencing your generosity through us. Because this is how you're fulfilling the promise Jesus gave. That we would bear witness to your resurrection life and what we say and in what we do. We thank you and praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, next week we get to look at the funnest story in Acts. Where people who were trying to act generous weren't actually being generous and God struck them dead. Pray for me. We're going to be able to look next week at what's the underside of this? Because clearly there was one. How is it that a community that is so generous, how do they also still need to be attentive to what's going on in the heart? But I leave that for next week. Would you stand for your benediction and we'll go to coffee time. May the grace of our generous Father work powerfully in us, sending us to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus and the very love of the Holy Spirit. Go in grace. See you at coffee time.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. If you have been listening for a while, perhaps you're wondering how you can support the church financially. To find out, please go to ericsoncovenant.ca and click on the Donate tab. Thank you for being part of this journey with us. Every day we are seeking to help people to find and follow Jesus.